All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. My name's Lucas. And I'm Justin. And I'm very excited about um, what we're going to be talking about today. Um, First off, thank you to everyone that's been listening. I am getting really, really close to a thousand total listens. Whoa, that's awesome. And Coldplay has, the Coldplay episode has passed 500. (laughs) (laughs) Steadily increasing. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, But ACDC episode is is doing a lot better than I thought it would. That's good. So that's been really fun to see. Um, But yeah, so just... Already reaching the thousand listen mark, that's not at all what I thought would happen. And only, um, what is this? This is episode nine? No, this is episode eight. Episode eight. Yes, 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 yes it, is. it is. So, um, no, it's episode nine. It is episode nine because yeah, ACDC just... was seven. Yep. And then Slipknot. Slipknot and then nine. I could be wrong. I know we've. I mean, we recorded two. Then you so. know what? Who cares? That's right. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but anyway, before I know for sure it's not number ten. So in before we get to ten episodes, having a thousand total listens, that's like a dream come true. So thank you to everyone that is listening and sharing and um, wherever you're listening, please subscribe. Um, is anybody subscribed to your uh, Spotify playlist? I think that. Rather than people subscribing to the playlist, they are giving my profile a follow, which is great. Oh, that's that's, cool. a, that's a great thing to do. But also make sure that you're uh, following the playlist on Spotify. I'll have the instructions for that in the description. And um, all you do is you just got to find me and then click on the Good Music Podcast Edition playlist that has every song that we talk about each week. And they're in the right order for you. And, uh, yeah, so you can find all of that there and just, yeah, if you're like, if you like what you're listening to, subscribe, we get, new episode goes out every Monday morning at nine central. So, um, that might be maybe while for your morning commute or if you're doing stuff around the house, how, where, wherever and however you listen to, uh, that's when our new episodes will be available each week. All right. Today. We're talking about one of the most legendary bands oh, yes. of all time. And one of the bands that is nearest and closest to my heart. Like, Queen is will always be my number one. <laughs> Queen. But, but this band has... And a crazy thing is I didn't really listen to them until fairly recently. And they're another British band. Yep. Which... Britain made the best music. I'll just, I'll just say that as an objective statement. Uh, we're talking about Pink Floyd this week, and yeah, Pink Floyd is my number two all-time favorite band, and I didn't ever listen to the. Obviously, I'd heard the really big songs. Like, you really can't go anywhere without hearing songs like Money or Another Brick in the Wall yeah. or Hey You. It's just kind of like those songs just get played everywhere, but I had never sat down and listened to them. Until, like, 2015, which they're definitely the newest band to be, to make that much of an impact on my musical tastes and my, and just what I really love. It kind of introduced me to a new playing field. So, what are some hallmarks of Pink Floyd? Uh, Simplicity and wide open space in the mix. Yeah. So Pink Floyd really because the thing is is that they're a, they're a progressive rock band and if you don't know what prog rock is, it's uh, pretty much like the experimental branch of rock and roll where the only rule is that you have to be different and you have to experiment. So which if you listen to their music, it's definitely very experimental. <laughs> oh yeah, they're the greatest prog rock group of all time, but they're also so much different than all the other big prog rock groups because the other ones really put a focus on really um, intricate instrumentation and long songs. And Pink Floyd does have some long songs, but um, like these really long instrumental sections and weird time signatures. And 
and just kind of really showcasing superior musicianship where Pink Floyd was able to be progressive but kind of do the reverse. Although not to say that they weren't great at their instruments. I still think that David yeah. Gilmore is the greatest guitar player of all time. I would agree with that. I think, I mean, even just his... Just his guitar tone, I think, for me is, I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. the best uh, of all time, yeah. personally. And I would say only second to the Beatles did Pink Floyd, like, really progress how music sounded. Yeah. They were, like, the best sounding band. I think, I would agree with that. I think they were one of the most, musically, the most interesting bands of all time. I mean, mm-hmm. just... In terms of that, I mean, it was always so fascinating just to hear what they would put in every song. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, of course, going to prog, prog rock, they weren't they weren't scared to, to push the envelope and see what they could do. Yeah. But, yeah, just when you listen to... Uh, they, there's, a, there's a characteristic of Pink Floyd that's been called the slow four. Yeah. Which is where you just got that one, two, three, four. And it's just that simple boom. And just, you know, that's usually the drum beats are always just four on the floor. Um, and you don't have tons of instruments bombarding you at one moment. Yeah. Now, you will have moments where they perfectly marry a lot of different things going on together. But that's usually for a very specific reason and only like at the right moment. You kind of brought this word up last week, but. When I listen to Pink Floyd, there's definitely a very cathartic experience yes. when you're listening they are, to them. They're the band that made me realize the full potential of cathartic experience in music. Um, n- no band makes me feel more emotions than Pink Floyd does. Yeah. Um, even Queen, that I love so much... They don't hit me as much on the emotional level as it's kind of more like on a on a really deep personal, almost spiritual level, <laughs> because that's just where the songs resonate with me. But Pink Floyd just it they take me through the wide gamut of emotions. It's kind of a lot of their sound is just a little I would even say like psychedelic. Mm-hmm. I mean, just when you listen to them, you're just well, they kind were of floating through it. They they really jump started the psychedelic movement in the mid sixties. They've yeah. been they were around for a long time before they finally broke through. Yeah. So they they formed in the mid sixties. They weren't the first psychedelic band, but they were definitely in the first wave and they were the most psychedelic band most at definitely. that time. You listen to that first album, Piper at the Gates of Dawn, it's You almost think it's really bad because it's so intentionally, like, weird and dissonant, like, playing bad notes on purpose just just to create this weird atmosphere. It almost sounds like they don't even know how to play their (laughs) instruments. And yet somehow they became such a big hit. Why? Yeah. So to... To say that, I'm going to kind of do a short annotated uh, history of kind of the beginning of that to Dark Side, which was their their breakthrough. A lot of people thought that they were a new band, but it was their seventh album. Right. So they had been, they, they took a long winding journey to get there. So it's Pink Floyd's always been four members. So um, only one member has been on every single album. That's the drummer, Nick Mason. He's been on every single album. Um, then you have Richard Wright, who's been on every album except one. And he's the keyboard player. Then you have Roger Waters on bass. And he was also the main lyricist for a long time. Um, and one of the lead singers. He started off just playing bass in the beginning and then kind of assumed more of a frontman leader role as they went forward. And then their first guitar player and main songwriter and lead singer was a guy named Sid Barrett. Sid Barrett was kind of the the author and the figurehead of the first incarnation of Pink Floyd. Yeah. He was this drugged out psychedelic madman like he actually got diagnosed with schizophrenia later because he took so much acid that he fried his brain but it caused him to come up with so many weird crazy ideas that no one was thinking to do like he was someone that took his inability of playing guitar 
into making it to where that was like almost the point. Yeah. You listen to a lot of the first album and you're just like, what is happening? <laughs> like he's, he, he'll do, he would do stuff like instead of using a guitar pick, he would use a credit card to like scrape along the strings and pluck them. And it was just like, he just, but that's what made him so famous is that he was just kind of like this, almost like this anti rock hero. I also read that in a lot of their recordings, I mean, it's, they didn't re, they did it all in one take because mm-hmm. he was, Barrett was just so like, so gung ho on just like, we're just going to do it one time. And well, because if they did it again, it would not even be close to the same thing. Yeah. He would do it different every time. And so he, he was instrumental in those early singles and then that first album. And then once that album started to get big in the underground London scene, that's when he really started to go off the rails. He would show up to shows and he wouldn't even play. He would just kind of stand there and like just gaze at the audience without moving or (laughs) he would intentionally play the wrong song or he would just like start screaming and, um, it just got to the point to where they were just like, we can't, we we can't go on with him, but we can't go on without him because he was the main songwriter and the main person coming up with all of the ideas that were making Pink Floyd so popular. But eventually... So, for the second album, they brought David Gilmore on. Yeah. And Sid Barrett still had a little bit to do with that second album, Saucer Full of Secrets. And then, at that point, Sid just couldn't go on anymore. And so, he just... He did a couple of solo albums, but then just kind of retired into obscurity. Um, and so, at that point, there was about a three-album period of them kind of, like, just figuring out what to do. At first, they tried to copy what Sid was doing and it didn't work. This is this is like the worst stretch of Pink Floyd music. Although there is some good in it, it's you can tell that they're searching. The more album, Amagama and Adam Hartmother is when they kinda started to get in, but it's still a, a pretty big mess. But they were just, they were trying to figure out who's the leader of the band, what what direction do we go in? They tried like symphonic rock where they had a full orchestra. Yeah. They tried like stripped back folk music. They tried weird audio, like sound effect experimentation, um, dissonant, like avant garde instrumental music. And they were just, they kind of couldn't figure it out. And it's when metal came out in 71 that you really, for the first time, hear the Pink Floyd that we get on Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. Metal is kind of it's the it's the it's the turning page. It still has the weird elements of their early past, but it's when they start to f- kind of lock in on that sound, the the atmosphere, the simplicity, the um, the still great pop hooks, but in really interesting and unexpected ways. But even in, through all that searching, like some of these songs on this list still has a lot of those elements. Oh yeah, because they never really got rid of that. It was just kind of they figured out how to make it accessible enough to where they could reach as wide of an audience as possible. And so after metal, that's the point when we get to dark side of the moon and it kind of finally, all of these ingredients mix for the first time in such a masterful way. And they kind of, they, they finally knew what they were supposed to sound like and what they sounded best at. And then from then on, that's when you get this incredible string of records. You've got Wish You Were Here and Animals, which I think is a criminally underrated record. And, of course, The Wall. And then you have the another kind of dissonant period in there where all the members hate each other and yeah. are getting kicked out. And um, then you have kind of the late 80s, early 90s Pink Floyd, which is an incredible period that we'll touch on on another episode, I'm sure, because yeah. it's beautiful music but it's really different because it's when kind of david gilmore finally like assumed the role as leader and kind of put his voice at the forefront yeah and yeah so that's kind of how pink floyd arrived from sid barrett's weird drug-fueled <laughs> nightmares to the third best-selling album of all time with dark side of the moon so yeah, we uh, when we talked about ACDC, we talked about the number two best selling Back yep. in Black. Now we got the number three best selling with Dark Side of the Moon, and Dark Side of the Moon holds the record for the most consecutive weeks on the Billboard 200. 
and it was like 791. From the time it came out to like the late 80s, it stayed in the top 200 best-selling albums of every week. Which is so crazy because when you think about, you know, in that period of time, mm-hmm. like just the type of music that was being played and just, you know, rock was still still in there and just kind of that 80s synth pop was starting to arrive. And then somehow in the middle of all this, you have this really atmospheric mm-hmm. nonsense that people are just latching on to. Yeah, it just, it kept speaking to people because it, it was timeless. It was a really, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an album that was following any trends of that time. Yeah. There wasn't anything that sounded like Dark Side of the Moon where they were cashing in on a movement. And they didn't really even start a movement either. They were kind of like a singularity, at least for a really long time. They kind of, People didn't really start catching up with Pink Floyd until like the 90s. As far as just kind of their their direction and their um, what what mood they were capturing, and I think if you look at the history of nineties music, I think you can see why mm-hmm. Pink Floyd kind of resurfaced. Yeah, it's kind of when they had their their brightest moment when they were uh, when they recorded the live album Pulse, which is just one of the most yeah. incredible live albums ever made and i think night in the early 90s and especially 2000s like i mean things were starting to become very introspective mm-hmm. just kind of that pop soft rock we're kind of now finally seeing the full extent of pink floyd's influence i hear more things coming out now that are pink floyd based yeah than there ever was before who do you think's the heir apparent to pink floyd honestly a lot of what's going on in the black metal scene mm. which is really weird but there's so much ambience and and softness in a lot of what the new black metal bands are doing and you can just hear pink floyd all over it and even the new slipknot album has a lot of pink floyd reference and and inspiration on it um uh, just yeah, pretty much anyone making a concept record now is really just kind of bowing at the feet of the wall right now. Every it's like every single concept album I've heard come out lately has like, in some shape or way, like paid a very um, obvious homage to Pink Floyd and the Wall specifically. So it's definitely we're definitely experiencing kind of the full effect of what Pink Floyd did. Because, I mean, when Dark Side of the Moon came out, we didn't start hearing a bunch of Pink Floyd copies. No. Even in the 80s, we didn't. The 90s, we started to a little bit, and then we just heard it more and more and more and more as as time has gone on. It's like, it's, it's like just growing. Yeah, I was, just in doing some reading, I, I think a lot of people have said that when it comes to, especially rock, like, I mean, next to ACDC, they're probably the two most influential bands for that genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Pink Floyd. It's just, it's it's funny because they're influencing artists in areas that they even weren't necessarily in themselves, but it was more of just that ethos that they created has been, been latching onto so many people. And really their music is more... Um, relevant now than it ever has been. Yeah. Not that it wasn't relevant when it came out. It was very relevant. That's why it did so well. Because, and this is another reason why I love Pink Floyd so much. My favorite lyrics of all time come from Pink Floyd. Mm. And this is coming from someone that doesn't really ever pay a lot of attention to lyrics. Like, usually lyrics are the last thing I notice in the song. Yeah. I, I listen to a lot of the musical elements first. But Pink Floyd is always a band where I, like, I listen to the lyrics, I'm just like, gosh, those are such good lyrics. Roger Waters was just... I would say he was second only to Bob Dylan as far as just greatest lyric writers of all time. Wow. Just whatever, what the way he was able to say things in such interesting but simple ways and be able to, it be the perfect thing to say with the emotion that the music was making at that time. And so, um, 
I feel like that's that's the thing that people are resonating with right now because a lot of Pink Floyd is a really down. There's not a lot of optimism and yep. happiness in Pink Floyd's lyrics, even if there is musically, which even then there wasn't that yeah. much. It was you even if it was up tempo, was it had a dark edge yeah. to it and an aggressiveness to it. But I never, think you said it earlier. Their music's just so emotional and i think yeah. that's why a lot of people latched on to it there's a lot of either anger or um sadness or regret or like even in if there's bliss it's like a haunting bliss it's not you know true bliss it's like escapism and so like now that's what people want they want to they want music that resonates with how they're feeling right now with kind of the social media age and politics the way they are and, you know, the world being so divided. And yeah, they really just want to, let, like, sweep over them. Mm-hmm. And so Pink Floyd's music is just, it's it's hitting a new generation in a way that a lot of older bands aren't able to do. Pink Floyd is just kind of almost still growing in stature. Okay. Well... Well, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll go ahead and take a small break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the songs. A really hard decision for me to make because there's so many great Pink Floyd songs to choose from, but I ended up being really happy with this list. So when we come back, we'll talk about those. See ya. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back. We are talking about Pink Floyd, one of uh, what I like to refer to as the four pillars of my musical um, palette. Because I can't ever pick a top five, because my number five always changes. And so four pillars just sounds really cool. So that would be Queen, Pink Floyd, Rush, and Iron Maiden. Those are my four pillars upon which everything I listen to stands upon. So Pink Floyd, the most... One of the most legendary bands of oh, all time. Absolutely, yeah. And we kick this list off with one of these days. Yes. So people that are Pink Floyd fans uh, know this song. But this is kind of the one song in this list that if you're not a Pink Floyd fan, you would have never heard this song before. Yeah. This is not a radio song. This This is a song that in my opinion, is the true starting point for the Pink Floyd sound. There were other songs in earlier albums that hinted at what Pink Floyd was going to do, but Metal as a whole, that album, it's one of my all-time favorite Pink Floyd albums. For a while, it was my favorite, although that's that's shifted a little bit, not because I like Metal less, but just because I've learned to really love other albums more. But Metal is, I think, top three best Pink Floyd albums. And that's the song that starts off that album. And it's this this weird, cool, pulsing, tension-building instrumental with, like, one little snippet of warble dialogue yeah. in there. And the song that actually gets got played a lot in Pink Floyd's live shows. I got to see Roger Waters a couple years ago at the BOK. One of the best concerts I've ever been to. And of course, you know, he, he did a little bit of solo stuff, but it was all Pink Floyd. And they they did this song uh, early on in the set. It wasn't the first song, but it was like, I think it was the second song that they did. And it was really cool to hear live. I mean, it's a great transition song, I'm sure. Yeah. Just the way it starts with all that wind noise, and then in comes that driving bass line that bass is just so it hooks you yeah that's the way that they got the tone on it it just has so much bite and drive to it and literally the entire song it's one note they never changed that's so crazy whole time and it's just one big build yeah <laughs> and they did that with one note mm-hmm it's the in my opinion it's the perfect showcase to show what pink floyd's about yeah 
showing that they're going to do something really different and really experimental, but they're going to do it with all four members only playing exactly what needs to be played. You've got Rick Wright coming in with those awesome keyboard stabs. Yeah. And the drum beat is really simple throughout the whole thing. And then you just have David Gilmore just unleashing on yeah. the guitar. And yeah, only, say, in a just, way, only he can. Just with all those guitar slides, I mean, it's it's so enthralling. Because mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, it's just this wall of sound. And, but it's just, it's all blended together and it sounds so good. And then finally, right before they release the tension, you have all these really interesting mm-hmm. samples that are coming you think through. you think that it's about to hit and then it goes down but then it's yeah. but it's still stretching the tension because you know it's going to come back and you're just kind of waiting for that for that drop moment it's almost like pre-dubstep in a way yeah and i think you know just what we were talking about earlier you kind of look at at the just the way the the music flows and there's a lot of elements of hard rock and and metal music in this Mm -hmm. absolutely they they influenced a lot of genres and they borrowed from all genres that were going around at that time metal was at its infancy when that album came out we really only had one metal band and that was black sabbath but you can still hear the heaviness in this song and this song actually also has Nick Mason's only vocal credit. He's the one that says that line, one of these days I'm going to cut you up into little pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and then that is what kicks off. Yep, and then that's the release. I'm just, the more I think about it, the more I realize this is like the almost like the birth of like a a dubstep track where you've got like the build and then there's the break and then you have like that like this shouted vocal and then the beat drops. It's just kind of like, oh, well, there you go. There's kind of the beginning of that right there. Yeah, every time I hear this, the release, I just think of, all I can imagine is just this gigantic mosh pit just going ham. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and you talk about David Gilmore wailing on the guitars. Oh, yeah. There's the two, like, when you listen to it, there's, I listened to it with headphones this morning, just, like, hearing just the two pan, the guitars on either side, and it's just, Mm -hmm. like, going off, and it's just... yeah. Oh man, what a what a what a thrill! Yeah, and so I wanted to use this song as just an interesting way to start off, because that was one of the hardest things for me to pick is what how do I start? How do I start this set? And I was looking through all the different albums. What's what's the first song? that's first because I mean that's kind of not. I won't always start with something that starts off an album. But usually, a band knows how the best to start off a set by putting that song first. Yeah. And so, and then I came across, and then I looked at metal, I was just like, the answer's been staring me in the face this whole time. This is the perfect song to start off with, because I knew what then I could put at number two. And that takes us to time. Time. Our our sole um, representation for Dark Side of the Moon. But the, the my opinion, the best song. I agree. I think this album. is my, not only is it the best song on the album, I think it's my favorite song on this list by far. It's it's my second favorite on the list. There's one that I like more. I think when we talk about just showcasing what Pink Floyd is about mm-hmm. and what they were able to do, I think Time is just the perfect example of this. I mean, quite literally right when they start you have all these clock noise and honestly even as the whole song it progresses it feels like it's elements of a clock and Mm -hmm. but just starting off i mean it's just this barrage yeah so yeah one of these days was like almost like the warm-up kind of how i've described before the primer it's like it's it's gotten you riled up it's gotten you pumped it's gotten you ready and then once time hits it's kind of like okay now we're going and just coming out of the eerie wind noises right into those um, those clanging clocks, I felt like was a good way to kind of like jolt the the listener into yeah almost it's almost kind of like a jump scare because the first time I listened to Dark Side of the Moon I didn't know that was about to happen <laughs> and I like jumped where I was sitting. I mean it's pretty in your face like right uh-huh. off the bat. Yeah, I also love the. The change of pace throughout this song. Yeah. It's just this constant ebb and flow. And just, mm-hmm. again, something that 
Pink Floyd was just so good at like seamlessly transitioning from one part to the next. Mm-hmm. Two lead singers in the song. Two lead singers. You got David Gilmour with the best rock voice he ever used on this. Because he's known for really soft, really deep, really mellow voice. But then on other tracks, when he wanted to grit his voice up, he could snarl. And he just, he's at his most ferocious on time. And he also rips this incredible guitar solo. Good God. That guitar solo. In my opinion, it's it's the whole centerpiece that Dark Side of the Moon sits on is that guitar solo, I think. I think it's the it's the one thing that makes that whole album work. And I love how when he's just riffing off of this, I love how the rest of the band just kind of sits back and supports mm-hmm. him, like especially with the piano. And even yeah. honestly even the rhythm section does such a great job. Um and that they have that um, incredible synth bass also going in there as well, mm-hmm. which I really love. Any other band would have pushed that drum beat so much during that song. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's nothing fancy. I mean, there's no like really big fills or anything. I mean, it's pretty simple all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yet you have seven minutes of not being bored. Yeah. And then the lyrics in time are my favorite Pink Floyd lyrics. Um, I so, so much love the line of hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. I just think that that's such a cool lyric and just, it's just kind of like, even though obviously I'm not English, it's not like I like, I relate to this lyric, but just, that's kind of the word, an example of just like Roger Waters wasn't just a lyricist. He was like literally a poet. And he's literally, he's just putting poetry down and somehow getting the music to fit along with it. And just such a, a the rest of the song though is just such a relatable tale about just kind of what everyone goes through, the, the things that they wish they had done and the time they wish they could get back. Yeah. And believing the illusion that you have all the time to do whatever you want, but you in reality don't. And... I just think that that's, you know, whenever I listen to it, that's just kind of like, that gets me in that mood just going, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, during the verses when David is just kind of snarling those lyrics, it's just kind of like, yeah, I get the angst and the anger about the regrets you have and kind of the things you wish you did. And then when Richard Wright's voice comes in on those pre-choruses, kind of that, that sadness and that more melancholy aspect yeah. I just think it works so well. So that takes us to our next song, The Happiest Days of Our Lives. Slash, another Brick in the Wall part yes. two. So pretty much, these are technically two different songs, but I'm, I'm making them like one joint song together. Because you... Another Brick in the Wall part two's effect is lost when you take out that previous musical part. I agree. I think... Because a lot of people just hear it right when it comes in with that, we don't need, but it's... Yeah. When you have that build right before, I remember the first time I listened to The Wall. I didn't know that that was going to happen. And I was listening to it, and I heard the first couple songs, and it gets in the happiest days of our lives. And I and I recognized that beat's coming in. And yeah. it kind of feels like, okay, this is another brick in the wall coming coming in. And then when that build starts to go, I go... Oh man, it's about to drop. Here it comes. And then when that when the beat comes in after those fills and everyone's, you know, the choirs go in and it's just it's so much more satisfying. Yeah. I mean, a brilliant move here by by Pink Floyd. Yeah. I mean, to name them two different songs and then seamlessly just move right in right into mm-hmm. the next one. Good thing is that lately I've noticed that radio stations have gotten really smart and have put both sections together whenever they yeah. play it on the radio. I've been hearing that lately. Um, for those of you that don't know, The Wall, uh, which this album is kind of the title track of, is pretty much Roger Waters' autobiographical um, telling of his rise to being a rock star, but all of the baggage that comes along with it. So he... the What another brick in the wall means is that there's 
events and moments in his life that have caused him to build an, a metaphysical wall around himself. And whether that be his dad dying at a young age, um, an overprotective mother, a, um, but the betrayal of a cheating lover, um, you know, fame and drugs and all the things that he doesn't take responsibility for, but kind of blames them and says, you're the reason why I'm like this. I'm going to build this wall around myself. And so I, before I listened to the album, I always thought another brick in the wall meant like, it's like an anti-conformity yeah. song. Like, don't just be another brick in the wall, be your own person, you know, cause that's, that's what I thought the school children was like, you're teaching kids to yeah. all be this. And I think that that was clever. I think he did this intentionally. Because you can take the song out of the context and have a whole new meaning to it. Because that's what I thought it meant for the longest time. But when you see the whole story of this album, and he's saying that, that in this case it's a an overly harsh teacher that uh, caused him to be distrustful of authority and saying that you're just another brick in my wall. You're just another reason why I'm cutting myself off from human contact and not giving my heart to anyone else. I think one thing that's interesting about these two songs is like, especially with the opening of the helicopter, it's almost like you're starting from the present and then kind of walking your way back into mm-hmm. the past. He's he's definitely viewing the, the schoolmaster as like a drill sergeant. Yeah. That he's like this military figure that, you know, is overly critical and and cruel and then of course at the end of another brick in the wall i mean i think it's one of the funniest endings yeah just with the yelling about if you don't pudding. eat your meat you can't have any pudding i love it and then also just with still the children and like the school children in the mm-hmm. background yeah and he just he he definitely took a lot from his past he didn't he hated school growing up roger waters did and um, just really kind of, you know, got to make his anti-authoritative statement. Because he, Roger Waters does not like authority. He, <laughs> he sings out about it a lot. Surprisingly, this song is the only number one single that Pink Floyd had. Which is, like, crazy. But at the same time, I, I kind of get it. I mean, I think when you think about all their music, it's probably the one song that doesn't start off super you know spacey mm-hmm. and yeah. psychedelic and something immediately like there to latch on to mm-hmm. and it's kind of the one song where they really capitalized on the trend at that time which was disco yeah that was a disco drum beat that they were playing yeah and the way the drums were mixed and just like it's it's a song it's like one of the few pink floyd songs that you can like dance to yeah like you could hear a re a disco remix playing at some uh, dance hall where yeah, everyone's kind of that booting. 60s guitar to it yeah well it was 70s 70s yeah because this came out in 79 it was almost 80s yeah it's one of the last albums released in the 70s it just has that spanking rhythm but yeah just that 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 guitar sound was very common in um uh disco definitely the, that now rogers yeah. sound um they definitely they were aware of what was going on musically in the world, but at the same time, they still made something that was undeniably Pink Floyd. Well, I mean, they used a children's choir. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to sing some pretty terrible things. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, the, I just, it's so ironic. We don't need no education. Yeah. But obviously you do, because you're incorrect grammar. <laughs> And that takes us into Hey You. So this brings us to the halfway point of the song list. And I kind of wanted to end on... I wanted to have another brick in the wall be that moment of like simple, like almost like Pink Floyd reduced down to even its most simple ingredients. Like just you're like a great, almost like rock song, pop song, disco song, whatever you want to call it. And then, but then it kind of has this like you know, it's got the trailing, like, phone disconnected yeah. sound. The bum, 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 bum. And it's, it leaves a, a good opportunity to come in with something darker and something more somber and something more reflective. 
And so that's where Hey You comes in, which is also off of the wall. And it is a very, very sad and emotional song. Yeah, so at this point in the story of The Wall, so The Wall is a double album. And on vinyl, that means that you had four sides because you had two uh, dual-sided discs. So Hey You is what opens up the third side, so the second disc. And each side is almost like a different chapter. So, like, the first side is his childhood. The second side is, like, going out and as, a, as a young man into the world for the first time. And by the end of the first half of the album, the wall is completely built. The metaphysical wall. He's still starting to find success as a rock and roll star, becoming more popular, but now he's completely closed off emotionally from everyone around him. So what Hey You is, is someone from the outside of the wall trying to connect to this um, this solitary figure. In other words, it's David Gilmore trying to connect to Roger Waters. That's why he sings that Hey You. Yeah. And then by the end of the song, it switches over to Roger Waters now realizing he's made a mistake building this wall and now he's yelling out hey you but no one can hear him no one can hear him past the wall that he's built which makes sense why it ends the way it does Mm -hmm. just with that vocal delay yeah it's almost like an echo he the only thing he can hear is himself so this song i think has one of the best instrumentals yeah it's one of the darkest instrumentals it's um it actually reprises the melody from another brick in the wall. It does. And I think musically, I think that's why musically I think it's so interesting. It's just mm-hmm. they were cl- so clever enough to pull that into there. They just like, it's subtly there that it sounds a little different. But when you really listen to it, you're like, oh, this is, yeah, this is another brick in the wall. Mm-hmm. But they do it so well. And I think just with the emotion and just like how it's set up with the way the song starts, I think this instrumental just nails it every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of Gilmore's best guitar solos. And it really just kind of nails that despair. It's like his guitar is like screaming and crying yeah. almost. And there's some really interesting drum fills in here as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of one of Nick Mason's more aggressive, uh, exploratory drum performances. It's still got the four floor, the the slow four, but he definitely once it gets up in intensity, he kind of opens up a little more than he normally does. Yeah. And so yeah, it's just it's a really it's a really interesting song to be one of their biggest hits. Because it's so dark and so... But at the same time, it's like that makes it so Pink Floyd and so attractive to what people like about them. But definitely one of their most enduring classics. And so uh, when you have that vocal echoing off at the end, it's kind of like now you have the calling out. And I felt like that was a good transition to go into... um, I'm I'm literally getting chills just talking about this because I just love this so much. Um, to go into Wish You Were Here, which is kind of like, it's like their anth. It's more so than any other songs I did as far as just kind of the one where you, you play it in a crowd and everyone's going to sing it at the top of their lungs. It's their Don't Stop Believing. It's their... Um, is their Hey Jude without like all of the the really bigness of it because it never gets really big as no. a song. But I do think, I mean, musically, I feel like it's one of their most interesting songs just with the way it's laid out with that, you know, with that rhythm guitar kind of just sitting in the background and also starting off with um, this, the TV show dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I just love how the rhythm guitar just sits in the back like really kind of super far off and then it's overlaid with this really incredible acoustic musicianship. Oh yeah. It's kind of it's it's such a masterful piece from David Gilmour. Even though he didn't write the song, just all the guitar parts he put together. Yeah. It's just it's so so rich and so peaceful. I kind of it's it's like even though it's a sad song, it's about, you know, 
reaching out to someone that's no longer there, but it's not sad in the way that it makes you really de- it kind of, it's almost hopeful. This song I wrote down is just it's very Beatles-esque. Yeah, it is. Especially just with the way how uh, Gilmore's playing the acoustic. I when I listened to it I was like, "Oh man, I I hear the Beatles all over this piece right now." Mm-hmm. And I think he just of course he just does such an incredible job and I feel like it really accentuates the melody of this song a lot as well. Mhm. Yeah, and they they have said that, you know, the song's about Sid Barrett. It's about their regret at the way they handled him leaving the band. Roger Waters and David Gilmour have always said that they if they had, they could go back and do one thing that they wish that they would have been better to Sid. That they would have um done more work to make sure he gets the royalties from the songs that he wrote and that they would have come up with a better solution than just kicking him out of the band because he just wasn't in his right mind he had nowhere to go um and that they obviously he was their friend because he was even david gilmore's friend they like went to college together and um, the whole reason David Gilmore was in the band was because Sid Barrett knew him and recommended him. Yeah. And so they, the song is without a doubt about Sid, but I think it also can transcend past a specific person and can be for anyone. Sure. Anyone that, um, that either you, they felt on their own merit went in a different direction or someone that they drove away. Because it's definitely about someone that's on the wrong path but doesn't realize it. You know, saying all the things that they think are real but in reality are something else. I love the line, um, did you exchange a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage? I just think that's such a beautiful lyric. And just, you know, can... Can you think you can tell heaven from hell? Yeah. And just, you know, someone that's got their world kind of in upside down mode. And so, and then just, yeah, that chorus when it comes in, how I wish you were here. Uh, that's just, that's, that's, you know, everyone putting their lighters up in the air and yeah. just singing as loud as they can. It's just, it's, it's as, it's so anthemic, but at the same time, so reserved and so peaceful. Yeah, it really is still amazing to me how the song just, it kind of stays in the same place, and you really just mm-hmm. don't get bored with it at all. Mm-mm. It's really crazy how little happens in it, and yet it's like a five-minute song. Yeah. It's just, that's what Pink Floyd was always so good at, is creating these longer run times with such simple ideas, and it never feel repetitive, or that they're just doing the same thing over and over again. That it always has something new that they're bringing in such subtle ways. Yeah, we talked a lot about earlier how just Pink Floyd was so good at making space. Mm-hmm. Just kind of letting the music really... They just had so much emotion in their music that they could afford to let the music carry a lot of the weight. Yeah. Yeah, it's they were they were the masters at it. And this this song is such a great example of just space and so you have this nice moment and and then that leads us to our final song which is my favorite pink floyd song of course and that's comfortably numb which just i'll say is in my opinion just the best pink floyd ever made and i spent a long time trying to figure out why why does this song hit me in a way that no other Pink Floyd song does? Because I also found that whenever I listened to it on its own, it didn't ever hit me as much. But whenever, anytime I hear that song when the wall as an album is playing, I cry every time it gets to this, specifically when that first guitar solo hits. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out why. And I finally think I figured it out. So, remember how I was talking about Hey You opens up Side 3? Mm-hmm. Comfortably Numb is the closing song of Side 3. 
So from Hey You to Comfortably Numb, there's a lot of music in the middle. A lot of it is, you could almost say is filler, but it really isn't. But there's no electric guitar at all from Hey You to Comfortably Numb. Yeah. Even the beginning of Comfortably Numb doesn't have um, that electric guitar in it. No, it's really more strings and, mm-hmm. and horns in there. And keys. And, yeah. And so I realized that, that when that guitar solo comes in, it's like almost, it's filling a gap you didn't realize was gone. Because it's like, it's that's the way the guitar is returning after, you know, 15, 20 minutes of music where all the songs in the middle are, you know, keyboards and strings and yeah. and a lot of these really um, mournful ballads. And then you get to this point and that guitar hits and you're just like, oh yeah, my it really kind gosh. of takes you over the edge. Mm-hmm. I kind of really love just the whole psychedelic feel of this song. I mean, this mm-hmm. whole song, I mean, a lot of their music is, but I feel like this is a their greatest, like, floating through space yeah. <laughs> type well, of they're, song. Well, they're, they're floating through a drug-fueled oh, uh, heavenscape. It's comfortably numb. He's, he's on probably, I'm, probably heroin, just feeling like you're flying... Um, when I was a child, I had a fever. My hands felt like two balloons. Now I have that fever once again. <laughs> yeah, just listening to this song, I, it really reminded me of just a lot of the stuff from um, a lot of the Beatles experimental stuff that they did. And just mm-hmm. like, especially when they, I mean, I think any artist when they're on drugs, you talk about any artist in, in this period of time, but mm-hmm. I think <laughs> Pink Floyd really just kind of took it to the next level with Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's just it's so beautiful. It's the I think it's the most beautiful song they ever wrote. But at the same time it's so haunting. It's got such a darkness to it that it's like it's on the outside it it's beautiful and happy, but then it's kind of like when you pay attention there's all of this yeah. darkness that's lying underneath it. And so um and then just you know you've got Roger Waters singing the verses, playing the role of a doctor that's trying to wake up the uh, just pretty much OD'd rock star. Just saying, hello, is there anybody in there? <laughs> just, is there anyone home? And and David Gilmour, and this is my favorite David Gilmour vocal performance yeah. ever. Not only favorite guitar performance, those two solos just get me every time, but... Yeah. His voice just has such that airy quality that you just feel like it's just floating on the air. Like if you were to give weight to sound, his would be like um, just the air. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this Comfortably Numb, I mean, of course, I think is their most peak. It's when they were at their peak, I mean, of all their creativity. Just Mm -hmm. putting it all together, all the things that David Gilmore brought in, and that's, I think... Just even this, just this album as well, but most definitely this song is when everything, all the pieces are coming together and they just mm-hmm. explode into this incredible piece. Yeah, and just I knew this was the one song that when I started to put the list together, I was just like, this is the song at the end that will never change, and I got to figure out how to get to that song. And and I for, forgot to mention this when we were talking about time, but the reason I didn't have more from Dark Side of the Moon is because those songs link together in such specific ways. And I didn't want to have money in there, mainly because when I do, I have to put us in them. And it's not because I don't like those songs, <laughs> but the only place that really fits in is once you open the second half of the set. And I didn't like how Us and Them goes into Comfortably Numb. And I was just like, Comfortably Numb is non-negotiable. That's at the end no matter what. The combo of money and Us and Them doesn't fit anywhere else in the set. So I just got to go with something else. So knowing, I mean, both The Wall and um, Dark Side of the Moon, incredible albums. Mm -hmm. Some people, in most pop culture, Dark Side of the Moon is considered... You know, one of the best albums ever, and yet on this list, it's almost like it feels like you're saying you like the wall. 
better as a record. So, Dark Side of the Moon was the first Pink Floyd album I listened to. And honestly, I was really unimpressed with it the first time I heard it. Um, and I was just, I kind of, I got to the end and I was just like, is that it? And I was just, I, I hate myself for saying those words. But that's how I felt because I had heard all this hype. I knew the the reputation that Darkseid had. And so I was expecting like this, like extravagant big thing. And it, and it was not what I thought it was. And The Wall is what I went to next. And that kind of, that tickled my progressive bone a little more because it had all this storytelling and these yeah. interesting transitions. And, and so The Wall was kind of the first Pink Floyd album that I gravitated to. So I kind of have a bit of a softer spot for The Wall. But as time has gone on, the more I've listened to Dark, to Dark Side of the Moon, the more I've, it's just started to click in my mind. Now I will say that without a doubt, objectively speaking, Dark Side is the greatest thing they ever made. It is a perfectly made, perfectly sounding album. Even several of the albums they did after Dark Side of the Moon have moments where it sounds dated. Some of the keyboard sounds they use are just kind of like, this doesn't really hold up very well. Um, or there's just, there's weak points like, I really don't like a lot of side four of The Wall. I feel like that it has a lot of the weakest material on it. I tend to actually turn the album off after Comfortably Numb because I just like, that's where I want to end it. Although I do like, like obviously Run Like Hell is a great song off side four. And, um, but Dark Side literally has not a single weak moment in the entire album. And so just the more I've listened to Dark Side, the more I'm just like, this is the superior album. But my heart tends to still gravitate towards the wall a little bit more. And then metal is mixed in there somewhere. <laughs> All right. Those are six songs. So those are our six songs. When we come back, we're going to talk about the bonus song, a really great bonus song. I agree. And one that has a really cool history to it. So um, when we come back, we'll be talking about that. So stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, welcome back, guys. Um, we've been talking about Pink Floyd in this episode. We just finished talking about the songs. Uh, those songs were One of These Days, Time, Another uh, Happiest Days of Our Lives, Slash Another Brick in the Wall Part 2, Hey You, Wish You Were Here, and Comfortably Numb. Um, all of these songs are going to be on my Spotify playlist, the Good Music Podcast Edition playlist. So um, be sure to check those over there, especially if you have not heard these songs before. And even if you have, um, hopefully the sequence of these songs in the order they're in will maybe give you a new perspective on them. And so now we're going to talk about the bonus song, which is a live version of one of david gilmore's solo songs called rattle that lock and a great live recording yes so this is a very recent live recording this is in 2016 but where they recorded it has such significance in pink floyd's history so uh this was recorded in pompeii in the ruins of pompeii in where like the old amphitheater used to be and so when Pink Floyd had finished recording Metal, their 1971 album. They made a, like a promotional movie. It wasn't even a promotional movie. It was like 40 minutes worth of footage of them playing in Pompeii and doing an amazing, incredible version of Echoes, which is like the big song on Metal, which we'll, we'll get onto on another episode. It's one of their best. Um... But when they did that, there was no audience there. It was just they set up all their gear, they got the camera crew there, and they just delivered this raw, energetic, weird, experimental, trippy performance. And so, and it's like one of the defining 
moments of Pink Floyd's history. Because it was kind of like, that was the moment that they really set the stage for Dark Side to succeed. Had that movie not been released and had they not also made the songs of metal, we probably wouldn't at least have gotten the um, the impact that Dark Side had. So David Gilmore returning to Pompeii because that no band has ever played there except for Pink Floyd and now David Gilmore. Two concerts in the last several thousand years. And it's just such a cool little thing to have as part of your history. And this song is so fun. Mm-hmm. I think he, I mean, of course, love David Gilmore's voice. And I think he just does a really, I mean, even just the whole, the song as a whole, like, just such a great, such a great vibe around it. Yeah. David Gilmore, what he brought to the table to Pink Floyd was just that that sense of melody and just pure songwriting. And polish. I feel like he brought some polish to yeah. Pink Floyd a lot. Mm-hmm. He absolutely did. Not just because of his guitar playing, but he even just with his writing. And, mm-hmm. and of course, I mean, being an incredible musician as a whole, I think, yeah. I think he just really added that extra sparkle that Pink Floyd needed. Had anyone else written a song like Rattle That Lock, it would just sound like your generic, you know, yeah. old dude boogie song. But it's just there's something magical about it being David Gilmore. The touches he brings to the guitar, his vote, the way his voice sounds, so awesome. And you can tell just the way he's telling everyone to play their parts. Even the background vocals with him, I mean, they sound so good. They do, yeah. That whole live album is really, really great. I would recommend that you take some time and listen to it. Um, some great renditions. Great spotlight for his some of his solo work, but of course also he's going to play most of the great Pink Floyd songs as well. Yeah. So I wanted to include that just as like a really fun uh, addition to the list and also just because... Pompeii is just a significant part of Pink Floyd history, and so I figured that'd be a cool way to... We start with one of these days, which was from Metal, which is the album that they were promoting when they made that Pompeii video, and we can end with Pompeii as well. So I figured that'd be a cool little bookend just to kind of add to the to the essence of it. So, yeah, so those are our songs. So, Justin, what did you think? I mean, I'm partial. I love Pink Floyd. I think they're, even for myself, I think they've, you know, they're heavy influence on my own personal music taste and even just, even just the sounds that I like when I play music. It's a big part of it. Um, time, of course. I mean, I'm very partial to Dark Side of the Moon. I think it's mm-hmm. by far my favorite album. Um, but, and I think I, was, I told you this earlier, but I do think that uh, The Wall has some of the best writing that Pink Floyd has ever done. Mm-hmm. I think it's... I love just the emotion, the emotionality of all of it. It's very well written. Um, it's very deep, very introspective. Mm-hmm. And it's very raw, which I think... That's why a lot of people like it. And so I do think it's it's definitely definitely one of their most underrated albums for me but i mean dark side of the moon it's hard to beat it's it's almost it's pretty much a perfect album it is it absolutely is is there anything on this list that surprised you either from songs you had heard before that maybe you were hearing with a new perspective or something you hadn't heard i think hey you definitely brought a different perspective especially what you were saying i caught a lot of what you were talking about just with um just trying to reach into that person who has built a wall around themselves from the outside and then the perspective of the person in the inside trying to reach out. That was something I hadn't really thought of before. And I actually had heard, listening to it here, I really heard that, just kind of that sense of, like, loss of just and confusion and mm-hmm. and kind of loneliness in that um and so that was something new for me. But, I mean, overall, I think all these songs, of course, so, so, so good. Yeah. Hard, it's just hard to beat with when it comes to Pink Floyd. And mm-hmm. I just love the the creativity, a lot of the experimentation. And, you know, we said it earlier, the catharsis that you feel when you're 
that they kind of take you through and you're just kind of like floating when mm-hmm. you're listening to it especially and then they get they it never fails they always get to this point where all of a sudden whether it's a guitar solo or just the vocals it kind of just adds that extra over the topness that just takes you yeah yeah um I I love Pink Floyd. I've I've talked a lot about why I love Pink Floyd, but I don't I don't know what else to say about it without talking for several more hours. But um let me know in the comments if your favorite songs made it onto this list. Um let me know what songs you would like to see coming up next time because we 100% will return to Pink Floyd. It may take a while because we've got a lot of bands out there to talk about. But we will come back to Pink Floyd. We're going to do some some very deep dives into some of maybe the more unsung classics. But um, let me know what you would like to see come on another Pink Floyd episode in the future. And um, next week, we're going to be talking about a great, great 70s band. We're going to be talking about Fleetwood Mac. A band that I have never heard before. Which makes me very excited. Those are always the best um, interactions to have. So um, thank you so much for listening. Remember, subscribe so that way you get notified whenever we um, put something new out. Again, new episode every Monday morning at 9 o'clock. Follow me on Spotify. The instructions are in the description. Just find me, follow me, and follow the playlist. So that way you can uh, hear what we're talking about. Don't just listen to the podcast. Listen to the songs as well so you know what we're talking about, especially if you've never heard these songs before. Hopefully we have piqued your curiosity and you will listen to some good music. That's the whole point of this podcast is to introduce you to some good music. So um, tune in with us next time. We'll talk about Fleetwood Mac. And uh, I'm Lucas. I'm Justin. Thank you so much for listening and keep on listening to good music.